Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Wendy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Ding dong, the season's done, Wendy. <laughs> and our tactics guy, and a man who's paying very close attention to Matt Law's latest article. It's Nathan O'Clock. Hello, Nathan. <laughs> That's me. Hmm. We should definitely come back to that. At least someone is. <laughs> yeah, it's not like Matt Law to be genuinely interesting, is it? You can tell that it's reliable information because at no point does he um, write the club off as a complete joke. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, firstly, thank you so much to everyone who recommended stuff to do in Chicago. I'm going away in like 10 days time. Really, really appreciated all the tips. I got a ridiculous number of emails and messages and it was very sweet. And uh, yeah, can't wait to be there. Um, at some point, I quite a few people have said, oh, you know, it'd be great to see you while you're here. I can't really do that to my friend. I can't, like, make a bunch of, of drinking dates with Spurs fans as much mm. as I'd like to when I'm going with my best mate. Uh, but what I probably will do is at some point we're planning to do some brewery visits. So I'll just, like, set up in a brewery for a few hours and, and let some people know amongst the Chicago Spurs gang um, and say, like, you know, if you want to come and have a drink, then then pop down and I'll stay there for a couple of hours. That would be fun. It would be really nice to see some people. Um, we, we got quite a nice response to the conversation we did last week about the Cups or Champions League. And I wanted to read this reply from Andy Rodbert, who said, I am 59 years old and have been a Spurs fan all of my life. My dad was a Spurs fan, his dad was a Spurs fan, etc., etc., etc. The best moments by far were the days I saw our glorious team win Cups. I was at Belaine on the 17th of May 1972, aged eight, when we won the UEFA Cup versus Wolves. I was at Wembley in 1981 for both games versus Man City when we won the FA Cup. I was also there in 1982 to see us beat QPR. These days were absolutely magnificent and will stay with me for the rest of my life. Cups or Champions League, really, there can be no comparison. Give me a cup win any day. Um, I really liked that message. I liked the nostalgia in it. I appreciated the sentiment. Uh, we got a few other messages along similar lines. 
but I think what's nice is this, from what I've heard, it kickstarted some discussions in, in WhatsApp groups amongst Spurs supporting friends. And I don't think there's like a right or wrong answer to this. I think, you know, the idea of qualifying for the Champions League is that in the future you will win more cups because you you have greater riches to to spend on your team. So I, I think they're kind of two sides of the same coin in some respects. But it was an interesting discussion and I appreciated all the messages we got. Uh, we'll start off by talking about the Brentford game, although I gather from Bardi's intro that he might want to move on from it quite quickly. His his last match of the season, and, and Bardi, it's been a drag going to Spurs this season, right? It's been painful, especially the last few months. Um, I had my ticket listed for a couple of weeks, and just nobody, no takers. And then around the ground, it, there was empty seats all over the place. It was, oh, really? It's not, been, it's not been an enjoyable experience watching the football. It's always nice to see my friends and stuff and hang out with people, but... Yeah, the football hasn't been great. Mm. Did you um, happen to see much of the protest outside the ground? Was there much going on? It looked like um, there was some roadworks in the part they normally uh, pitch up in. So um, maybe that was quite a tactical way just to just to stop them gathering there. <laughs> Interesting. But, so I um, no, sorry, I, I, I didn't. I didn't see them. I, I didn't hear them. There were some people hanging around, but nothing that made you nothing that made you think, oh, something's going on over there. Interesting. So the reason I asked is I noticed um, John O'Blaine tweeted that some of the Levy out protesters were getting into kind of arguments with people going into the Spurs shop uh, and, and dishing out abuse to people who are going to the Spurs shop. It kind of got a bit heated, apparently. I wanted to know if there were like large numbers in the group or or whether it was much like we've already seen, you know, photos of about 20 to 30 people with with banners and and uh and singing a few songs and that kind of thing that's what it looked like to me i think the moment one set of fans start policing other sets of fans it it just it just ends up in in more more factions and more splits i think the whole problem with this is it's quite divisive at the moment i don't think there's i don't think there's a group of people that think this is what should be happening or i don't think there's a group of people that believe daniel levy's doing a brilliant job but there's there's also a center ground that needs to be found between those that just want to chase him out and chase Enoch out and those that want to do something else so um, shouting at each other is just not going to help and this has kind of been my point all week mm. that there, there needs to be some unifying statement and that statement can't be Levy or Enoch out because it's, it just doesn't work like that I think that's a really good point about finding a centre ground and, and I, from my own perspective of using social media what I find is a lot of the Levy out or staunch Levy out um, uh, group can be quite hostile to other fans. Mm. If you don't support their cause, they're gunning for you. And I think that is a really unhelpful way of of getting people on message. Um, You know, I I meet people on Twitter if they're abusive to me. And what's interesting to me is when I look at a lot of these Levy Out profiles, they're people I've muted previously. So, and I haven't muted them because they're Levy Out. I've muted them because they've been aggressive or abusive at some point. I think that's quite interesting. There's an interesting Venn diagram to be drawn there. Um, we we have people who've written to us saying they don't care anymore. They just want us being to be bought, be that by shakes, be that by Saudis, whoever. Just get Levy out of the club and and get the club taken over. Now, I think that's quite um uh shit. I <laughs> it's quite yeah. I mean, I I fundamentally disagree with that view. I would really struggle with that position. I think it's also quite a niche opinion. 
So th- this is the thing. There's a bunch of different factions now. There's people who just want Levy gone regardless. There are people who want us to be bought out because so we have untold riches to spend on players and essentially be in the same position as Newcastle or City or Chelsea. And then there's people who want Levy to step back like us, who don't want Levy involved in football operations, but actually... You know what? Maybe he's as an owner. Maybe he's the lesser of two evils in in some ways. Um, and it's tough. It's really tough. I think uh, the from my perspective, the best that can be done right now is pushing for increased fan representation on the Spurs board. I think the Tottenham Hotspur Supporters Trust are doing a pretty good job in in channeling that. And my advice would be to put your energy into backing them in in what they're doing or starting a similar campaign and and doing it how you feel it should be done. But I don't think, you know, Daniel Levy isn't going anywhere until he gets an offer that is too good to turn down, essentially. He's not going to sack himself. It doesn't work that way, like Bardi says. Um, I wasn't intending to go into a big discussion on Levy out, but uh, yeah, it's interesting. Polarisation doesn't support anybody. You end up Brexit and Remainers and Leavers. You end up so far apart that it doesn't matter. I think ultimately everybody wants Tottenham to be better. They want Tottenham to make better decisions. Um, I don't think we as a fan base have the power to remove Daniel Levy. We don't. I don't think we have the power to remove Enoch either. No. Hoping for somebody else to come in and buy us is a, a pipe dream. There's something Man United have been waiting for that for 15 years. It, it, those, those individuals don't turn up and just go, <laughs> okay, I'm going to buy Spurs. Unless there's a situation where they can get Chelsea, for example, for a reasonably cheap price because there's been a war and uh, their, their dictator slash chairman is in deep trouble. So I think what we need to do as a, as, as a fan base is we have to unite ourselves behind something and that something can't be chasing the, the chairman or chasing the, the company in charge of Tottenham. It needs to be supporting Tottenham, getting behind Tottenham, finding a way to channel the kind of anger and the depression into a positive vibe and a positive movement that mm. will take, that will all the kind of leave it out people, all the people like me who are kind of more or centre and those that just don't care just want to go and have a good time can unite behind something something Tottenham rather than chasing the board and I, I think that's why I would like us to see and do something like that but perhaps as to it was called wishy-washy by one individual on Twitter when I kind of proposed that as a manifesto of, of how to move forward but it's what I believe we should do I'm someone who holds um, an extreme political ideology and I have been told off. I've been told off many times that I am not reaching across the aisle. I'm not engaging with the moderates. I'm just um, belittling them um, out of my own frustration. I don't. I don't have anywhere I'm going with this point just yet. But that is something for me to to think on. That I've been on both sides of um, these kinds of situations, and then I have. Um, empathy um, in both positions. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. It it is it is true, and that happens quite a lot. If you don't agree with them, you just get oh, you're belittling us, and I'm not. I'm not belittling them. I'm really interested in the movement. I'm really interested in any kind of fan action and mm. fan group. But I would just like us to be a bit more thought out in the words we're using, a bit more thought out in the actions, and just not chucking at balloons on the pitch. It doesn't mind balloons on the pitch. Anything. I think you know you've gone to the effort you've got them them printed or whatever and marked up and you're doing something that is that is like unavoidable to the broadcast cameras yeah you're you're making your message heard whatever you think of that message you're making that message heard but then they're putting a pound sign in place of an e and it's just it's just like it's childish it's embarrassing it's arguably anti-semitic it's just like 
I don't know. Like you're nearly there. You're nearly there, but you have you can't help but just trip over yourself in the process. Yeah, this is it. I think this is it. That's where I'm coming from as well. Um, I think some people. Um, it's a nuanced situation, right? So Daniel Levy is is just not this great evil. He's not Sauron. Like people talk <laughs> about him as if he's Sauron. He is not Sauron. He is. He's just a businessman who's trying to um, leverage money from running a business. Um, so, you know, profit before glory is a, in some ways a meaningless tagline because, of course, like he wants to make profit. That's his job as a businessman. But also, if he's doing his job well, there'll be glory too. As a byproduct, so, because as a byproduct glory of profit, so and profit are tied together quite strongly. In, not absolutely, in, not not on a one to one basis, right? Because, like you've seen with United, like this is a legitimate criticism of the Glazers. The Glazers realise as long as we're still Manchester United, it doesn't matter what we do on the pitch. And then after 10, 15 years of that, oh, wait, we're starting to lose revenue because we're not a bigger deal anymore, right? Mm. That's a legitimate criticism of the Glazers. I think all the time, Levy's top desire has been to make Spurs as good as possible. He's not done the best possible job of it because of his yeah. own lack of necessary skills. But yeah. yeah, profit before glory is is the reality of capitalism, right? And sometimes other clubs that profit will be uh, not monetary profit, but image profit. Yes, mm -hmm. they're, they're pretending they're putting glory before profit so they can profit from the image of that to better um, repudiate the image of uh, a state, <laughs> right, for example. Um, my personal position yeah. is that, yes, Levy's just a businessman, but they're all Sauron. All of them are Sauron to me. Yeah, of course. Um, and I, <laughs> and I, and the <sighs> Prophet Before Glory is an indefensible position in its own. Uh, oh, yeah, 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 exactly. exactly. Yeah, abs absolutely, absolutely agree. But, you know, from a kind of pragmatic relative. approach to relative to where we are in football, I think um, you're right that, that there's a lot of kind of, the movement has become quite puerile mm. and lacking in, in nuance and incredibly agenda driven. And you lose, you lose people with that. You lose people because they, they see you're deliberately ignoring the good things that Daniel Levy's done to, to, to try and ram home your message. And by doing that, you show yourself to be um, lacking critical thinking. If, if you're a bit more balanced and even-handed and criticise Daniel Levy for the things he genuinely does deserve criticism mm. for, I think you bring people along on the journey with you. Because there's there's an awful lot that Daniel Levy's got wrong over the years. An awful lot. Yeah. Um, and he deserves absolutely to be um, challenged and held to account for those mistakes. But, you know, we, you can't hold him to account for things that he hasn't done wrong. And, and I feel like just like blaming him for everything over and over and over again is is a pointless position to take. I disagree with something you said just now, which is that you think it's become more puerile. I think it's been this puerile all along. It's always there's always been no get them out no matter what, no nuance, no conversation. There's always been a voice of that within the club for as long as I can remember. True. And I True. agree that recently that voice has grown louder and and maybe drawn more people towards it. But I also think the conversation has become more nuanced because it's been a more worthwhile conversation. You've had well, us on this podcast, other podcasts, other other voices within the space, journalists as well, saying, hey, um, we're reaching a point here where arguably Levy's position as chairman is becoming untenable if if if, oh. if he doesn't get the next appointment right. So I do think there is a nuanced voice 
um growing i think it just grows in a completely separate way from from uh you know pound signs on mm. uh hand-drawn signs if you so on on saturday there was definite chance of of levy out and yeah. out, and there yeah. were it was the loudest that i probably heard it but it still wasn't a majority and if a performance like that and the final game of the season can't unite the fan base behind it it just kind of goes to show that the majority mm. just don't don't care they're upset and they're annoyed which is why they didn't stay for the procession and the, the lap of the lap of honor but mm. they're not they're not kind of like engaged enough they're not upset enough to protest against the board they're just dissatisfied in general with the product and i think i think that is what will push levy out more than anything else i i have a funny feeling he'll walk away this summer i just think it's i just don't think i don't think you can keep this level of dissatisfaction and people not staying to watch the lap of honor it's it it shows a sign someone posted on twitter the difference between the final game of the season under potch um and the final game of the season under they were this season and of course that was a bit different 2019 there was the champions league to look forward to and everything else so there was a bit of hope around the club but i do think the fans just disappearing 10 minutes before the end of the game will have a big impact not the levy out chance I, th- I think you're right. Um, the the Levy out chance, I think. Um, so it's pockets of fans start Levy out chance. It's it's relatively small pockets. It's now sung by away fans, away matches. So the the pockets are, are growing. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the second performances improve, those chants die down, may even die a death. Honestly, I think it's it's that uh, reactive. I think it's very easy when you're frustrated at what you're seeing on the pitch to join in with anything where you're sort of having a go at the club and and trying to unite behind that. And as you say, if when you're 3-1 down at home in the final home game of the season, you're you're not getting critical mass singing along those songs, I think that's quite telling of the movement. I I just don't think the appetite is there. Um, you know when when Spurs fans are dissatisfied, they make it known. When uh, Nuno mm. substituted Lucas, it was clear yeah. there hasn't been that swell of get him out, get Levy out, resign. There hasn't been that swell. There's been, there's definitely pockets of it, and of course it's growing, man. We we don't win games anymore, and that's always going to push people. And I think the Leeds game, you'll hear it even more, especially if we if we lose that as well. But it's mm. still it's still miles off being a majority. I think I think you're both slightly underselling it. Like it's definitely prominent on TV. Um, I appreciate you know the broadcasters, directors make a decision to show signs and and mm. balloons or whatever. Um, but it's it's audible. It's definitely audible. Um, mm. It was audible at the, the one home game I've been to this season. Um, so I think I think it's it might not be a majority, but it's considerable. But I I I, I definitely agree that we play well next season. Those chances go away. But I also think. It can go the other way. I think we're very much at a crossroads right now. Again, if if the next appointments or appointments yeah. are wrong, if this summer goes poorly and we're playing bad football under a bad dickhead next season, um, then I think we might be reaching a majority of, of fans who who are opposed to to Daniel Levy as chairman. I'm quite curious who could be the bad dickhead we could appoint. Who who who's that potential dickhead? We're not really linked with dickhead. I, it probably the yeah. closest would be Enrique. I mean, I'd say that I like Enrique. Um, but yeah, okay, fair enough. We're not even good news. We're, we're not. We're not strongly linked to many tickets. Mm. And in terms of Bardi's point about Levy walking away this summer, I, I think he's already doing a bit of that in appointing Scott Munn. I think that's that's as close as you're going to get to Levy leaving. I think Scott Munn coming in and being a um, a barrier between him and what's happening at the club is 
about as good as it gets for people who want Daniel Levy at the club right now. Until we get a three billion pound offer coming in, that's that's the best you can hope for. It so it, we already acknowledged earlier. Um, just as we were about to record, Matt Law's article came out, and there was also um, some news from uh, Paul O'Keefe saying similar thing the other day that that we're looking to go to a much more data driven approach in football, which is basically what I've come on this podcast and called for. Um, twice a week for <laughs> four years <laughs> or something, right? So I'm pleased about that. Uh, but it looks like um, Levy wants to put that structure in place underneath him and say that he's less involved, but probably be still quite involved. Um, he can't help himself, can no, he? No, he can't help himself. But I, I do think that like the better... Uh, the more layers, the more robust that structure he puts in place in rather than a yeah. guy with a phone. Um, 100%. The, the harder it is for him to be like, no, vetoed, overruled, I want to get, you know, Musa Sissoko for 30 million or whatever. So, because that's what my current guy who's manager wants, yeah. So I think, um, like, I think, I think he can have his cake and eat it. I think that he, by the way reports are going can can remain in position can still meddle a bit and be you know sit around in the cafe where the players are and have loud conversations Mm. um Mm. and significantly improve the way things are done and and make Mm. less decisions himself while still being Mm. an oversight so he can he can turn this around um not particularly due to his own skills related to football but but it's there for him yeah okay fuck it let's do this now and uh we'll do brentford in the second half oh, well, um, who cares about brentford man <laughs> I, I i've got i've got takes i've got takes, got takes. Um, but right. I, I think this is interesting i think this the story suggests that daniel levy is talking to people in the betting industry people de- betting experts around about setting up data models um that's interesting because people who are involved in sports betting have a knack uh, driven by greed to to find uh, variants in the betting market that can benefit their um, can make the money. So the idea is uh, people develop models which predict results or yellow cards or corners or whatever it might be, and they compare their models output to the odds on various at uh, various bookies. And where there's a big gap, they they put bets on, and they often um have code which allows them to put bets on in multiple places at the click of a button you can't if you if you constantly win on uh on bookie websites you get blacklisted you can't bet anymore because you're essentially they know you're onto something so what they do is they set up multiple accounts and they they get lots of people to put smaller bets on multiple bookies so these are smart people who who know how to make a quid or two from using these models. And uh, some of these people, some of these people have, have made it good in the, in the world of football. So Matthew Benham, Tony Bloom, owners of Brentford and, mm-hmm. and Brighton come from betting backgrounds. Everyone admires the system that, that Brighton have got at the moment. I mean, it's Chelsea are essentially trying to replicate that by stealing all of Brighton's staff. Uh, Brentford are widely acknowledged to be massively over overperforming their size and stature. Um, I think this is not a, a bad idea for Levy to be having these conversations with these kind of people, but um, 
I, I'd be interested to know a little bit more detail. Do you have any int- do you have any takes, Nathan, on this? Well, okay. So specifically with regards to to the overlap between sports analytics and gambling, like it's there, it exists. <laughs> um, and so yeah, Bloom um, specifically like made his money in gambling, um, mm-hmm. made enough money to buy his spoiled football club. And also mm-hmm. use the considerable crossover skills to go about running his football club in a very smart yeah. way. Although he's, it's fair to say he's invested a fair bit of, of owner money in that. They they spent up front, but they've done it in a very, very smart way. And I think that he will likely look to, to take that money back at some point, you know, when it's sustainable to do so. Anyway, yeah. Um, so, like, yeah, you can definitely approach running a football club and, and, and using a data-led operation from a gambling experience, from a gambling um, pedigree and position. But, like, you don't, you don't have to, right? So um, what we were talking about before is, like, a model where um, you calculate your own odds of all of the events that are happening in sports – especially let's say football and then you also scrape all of the odds being offered by the bookies in a given sport and you say here's where my model differentiates from the odds that they offer by more than two points therefore i'm gonna lay on all of those and over time i'll put uh, you know more and more um i'll grind out a steady profit uh, more than a steady profit a a huge sum (laughs) over, over a period of years right um so that's using analytics. So you've got expected goals involved there and, and other such ideas um, to generate match odds, predictive match odds. Um, this team have been overperforming expected goals. Bookies think that they're going to win the next game, but actually they've been lucky so far. Therefore, that sort of thinking, right? Um, there's not a ton more crossover than that. It's merely the idea of using data. It's merely the idea mm. of being smart and being predictive. The other skills... Like obviously there's coding involved, but the other skills are very different. If you're like, okay, Tottenham need a creative midfielder. So, okay, you can look at expected assists, but you need a lot more than that, right? You don't have to, in in leading position, go to fucking Paddy Power and be like, hey, can you please build me a, a football goodness rating that goes from zero to 99 and so I can yeah. get the goodest footballers, right? Most, here's the fucking thing, right? Most football clubs in the top five leagues have an analytics department and they're younger staff, they're less experienced, they don't have uh, glossy histories. But if you just said, hey, why don't you run the club for a couple of years, you'd massively improve your club, right? It's there. <laughs> it's already there. You buy a package from Opta, you buy a package from Statsform, you get a few people who have some experience, some nerds from Twitter, right? And you massively improve your football club. You don't You don't need to go to a gambling company. You don't need to build your own model. Speaking of which, uh, Barnsley had a good victory this week. Yay! <laughs> well done, Matt. Um, uh, Bardi, any thoughts on 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 the use of data? Um... I'm just looking forward to proper Tottenham Twitter accepting <laughs> the fact that data works. How are you going to play that? How are they going to pass that one off? <laughs> also, I'm also looking forward to, forward to them catching Nathan's line of just get some people off Twitter to pick the team. <laughs> <laughs> you ain't never played the game, mate. You ain't never kicked the ball. <laughs> <laughs> I have. I'm just shit at it. I don't think it's quite as easy as Nathan makes out. Just find oh, yeah. a guy on Twitter. <laughs> 
we have all kicked the ball. I, I, I have kicked the ball before. We all have kicked the football. It's just mm. such a ridiculous way to criticise someone's take on football. You've never yeah. kicked the ball. Shut up. Yeah. If you're interested in a little bit more on, on the use of data and analytics in football, then uh, there's a podcast I do behind our Patreon paywall called Straight Off the Training Ground with Chris Somersell, who is both a coach and someone who works professionally in football as an uh, analyst. A nerd off Twitter. Specialist. Yeah, <laughs> also a nerd off Twitter. Um, but yeah, he's on training ground though, Nathan, so it's a bit different. He's, yeah. a, he's a proper football he man at the same the time as being a nerd. Yeah. He kicks the coach. He's, he's, <laughs> he's keeping everyone happy. Um, while we're talking about capitalism, I shall <laughs> hand over to Barney. Bard, Barney? I shall <laughs> hand over to Bardi. To talk about our partnership with Athletic Greens. I started taking AG1 because my health is important to me. And I keep myself healthy by routine and consistency. Windy, tell me one thing consistent at Spurs. The price of beer. That's true. It's consistently expensive. But the answer is nothing, mate. We're consistent in our inconsistency. We're a knee-jerking, formation-flipping mess. One week is 3-4-3, and the next we're 4-4-2, trying to chuck it up them. <laughs> I thrive with being consistent in my takes and in my supplements. AG1 is the anti-Mason, anti-Spurs. It delivers into me the goodness that Spurs fails to do. The season may well be over, but consistency continues in my house with my morning shake of AG1. Get consistent goodness in you this summer and come back tip-top for the slot era. It's cheaper than getting all the different supplements yourself and supports better sleep quality and recovery. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash extra inch. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash extra inch to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Finally, we get onto the Brentford game and we can actually talk about some on-pitch action. Um, and there was genuinely some interest in the team selection, which was which is quite novel. Uh, not only a change in formation, but uh, key players out injured, Hoybier and Romero both out. So in came, I guess, Basuma and Danjuma. Um, Bardi pleasantly surprised by change to 4-2-3-1 or, or worrying instantly about the defence? 
Um, I was worried about the change of formation. I was interested and intrigued to see a midfield without Hjoibier. So that's that's kind of where I was on my way to the stadium. I was I was mildly, well, I was more than mildly. I was very curious and to see how um how Bissouma and Skip would get on. And Nathan, uh, a couple of things to ask you. Uh-huh. Firstly, did your mentions get destroyed with Harry Kane scoring a free kick? <laughs> a little bit, although that's partly my own fault. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, you predicted that he would score four, four <laughs> direct free kicks this season. Yeah. Well, okay. Um, many people would say he's still on zero, and that's not a direct free kick because there was movement on the ball, which is technically correct. But I don't think it should be. I think that that should count because because that's that's the kind of reason for thinking that he would that's score. That's the point. Yeah. Yeah. That we would yeah. mix it up. That we would change how we approach. He wouldn't do a classic smash into the wall. We would, mm. you know, get the wall jumping and go under it or shift the wall, break the wall, move the ball, um, decoy runners, things like that. And that's how he'd score. So, okay, technically that doesn't go around, down as a direct free kick, but that is what I, what I had in mind when I mm. said that tweet. I'm still I, out by, you know, 75%. So let me have my one, please. <laughs> I, I think you absolutely get your one. I think the most important thing that changed on this free kick isn't the fact that they shifted it, but the fact that in shifting it, it forced Kane to change his technique. He used a different technique to strike the ball. The technique he used to strike the ball, in my opinion, is much more suited to him actually getting some success from free kicks. That is, he used his instep, he curled it towards the far mm. corner. Uh, that is the way Kane should take free kicks every single time, in my opinion. None of this knuckleball nonsense. He's proven time and time again that he cannot get that to work. Um, we've seen Eric Dyer step up and try just a simple curled shot towards the top corner and had some success with it. Now Kane's had uh, one one in one success. He needs to let that continue. And if that means a little shift to the right, then I'm all for it. I think it's a, a smart move. Uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you, Nathan, is you seem uh, interested, judging by your, your Twitter feed, in uh, Ryan Mason's rationale for why he thinks the, the match went bad. Okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, I spent um, a lot of the mid-periods of this podcast talking about fitness, and then we had a few games where we seemed to keep it up for 60-plus minutes um, with a change of coach, and I sort of let go of it, and now now I'm fully vindicated, basically, um, by Mason's own word. Let me find the quotes. Um, he said, this, this is in the immediate post-match interview with BT, he said, I think there's many different reasons why intensity dropped. I think you want to be an intense team, you have to work and train as an intense team. That's probably been a difficulty of getting this role at this stage of the season, having worked a different way for a period of time. I think when he says that, he means the team have worked a different way for a period of time rather than he has previously mm-hmm. come into roles in preseason. Uh, he says, mm-hmm. I thought we were keen to show what we wanted to be and become. In the first half, we did that, but we probably couldn't sustain it for 95 minutes. And then I think this is post-match press conference because this is from Ali Gold's article by the look of it. He says, um, why did the intensity drop? He says, maybe a combination of different things. We were probably asking them to do something that they haven't done for a while in terms of playing a higher line and being a little bit more front foot. And to do that for 90, 95 minutes, you probably need to train uh, it for a consistent amount of time, which we haven't had. I thought there were lots of positives in the first half. I certainly took a lot of positives. So um, basically, the two goals um, that Brentford scored before the game was basically already dead, um, in both of them, the forwards are just completely not involved in de- in defending, right? So first one is from a throw. Our midfield and defenders look to press. They can compress the width of the pitch and, and um, block off all of the short options. 
Kane, Son and Dan Juma are all just being out and out forwards, waiting on the shoulder of, of Brentford's defence. It leaves a midfielder just completely open for the throw. They play over to... Um, oh, and Bermu. And Bermu, who, who scores basically two goals uh, from, from two chances that Brentford had in that period of time. Um which which is not like, you know, both came down our left-hand side. This isn't a call-out against Sun because I think we have to acknowledge that this is about um, intensity levels and, and training methodology and, and uh, a long season. Mm. This is where I think the, um, the, the, the fitness and the tactics intertwine and intermingle. Um, I, I've, I, I quite enjoyed watching the game back, weirdly, because it was, you know, it was an interesting game to watch because there was stuff happening that was different. And I, and I weirdly enjoyed that, even though we lost. Um, but I kind of summed this game up as being a game of two quick throws. The, 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 the quick throw from Rico Henry into Damsgaard for the uh, equaliser where Spurs have been dragged over towards the ball and have left the man um, free. And as Nathan says, the reason that man is free is because the forwards aren't involved. I think I think you get a throwing coach. I think that is a problem that's resolved quite quickly. And then our own quick throw, which led to the final nail in the coffin, Pedro Porro takes a quick throw to Skip, who I don't think is quite ready to receive it, completely miscontrols it, ends up taking a bad touch, Brentford rob him in front of his own box and uh, end up with Visser putting one away. So again, I think some coaching and, and tactics around throw-ins would have been really helpful in this match. Um, but yes, absolutely, the, the intensity did visibly drop from the, the press. Um, there's, I think there's several that you, you, you weren't keen on talking about this game, Nathan, but I think there's several things that are, that are interesting. Um, firstly, us in build-up in our 4-2-3-1 shape. A throwback to the Jose Mourinho days of Ben Davis playing left back and being deep. Ben Davis makes up a back three and build up in this game. Yeah. Really interesting. Really, really interesting. Uh, I thought he had a bad game, to be honest. I thought Ben Davis had a really, really bad game. I thought Emerson Royale also had a pretty bad game on the right uh, in a more advanced role. We've seen Emerson Royale have many matches where he's been asked to do things with the ball and has struggled to do that. I, personally, for me, although I understand there's a lot of good goodwill towards him because he's bloody hell is he a trier um i think he's in an inadequate attacking right back i think if he's going to play that role he needs to be moved on um but it was interesting at least that we were building up in that way and in the first half skip on a couple of occasions pressed aggressively onto jan elt who was brentford's deepest line midfielder and i thought that showed more pressing intention than i've seen from spurs in quite a while and that did not happen in the second half that same level of intensity and aggression was not there from mm. the very start of the second half uh and i think that also speaks to what mason has said about the ability to be intense um I th I've got more takes, but but go on, Bardi. I thought the I thought it was a game that kind of ended when Basuma's engine ran out. I thought he was excellent in the first half. I thought he was doing everything that I kind of want from a central midfielder, and I thought Skip was all right alongside him in a kind of a supporting role. It was interesting to see how how Brentford played. Um, Raya had played such a high line, and he basically killed the ball over the top to Sun. So that was that was like one of our main attacking options just disappeared so I thought he had an excellent game even though yeah. 
He didn't actually do much, a couple of good saves right at the end, but his 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 sheer presence were just ended our attacks before they could start. Um, the, the the first save from the first Richardson header was insane. The one yeah. that he got onto the post, ridiculous save. He's so good. So it was really good to see him, and just his starting position was great. I thought Kane at some point might have a have a shot because he likes that because that's how far out he was. But he he was good. Basuma I thought was really good, and he kind of fell apart, and then the rest of Spurs fell apart. I thought at half time Brentford were on the beat. And I was kind of like, okay, we're going to go on to win this two or three nil. But then the second half started, and Brentford just decided to press us a little bit, push us, and um, yeah, we crumbled. Definitely, I think there was something about that front four just not working back and leaving us overrun. Perhaps they should have made a change early. I could see why he put Lucas on to perhaps try and get a bit more legs into that front four, but there's just something amiss with Tottenham at the moment. We can't press consistently, perhaps because we're not fit enough. But not being fit enough is really it's a it's a sour, it's a sorry state of affairs to be in yeah absolutely hey just 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 a quick little shout out Mm. that Davinson Sanchez at no point broke his own ankles controlling a slow rolling ball and and gave the ball away to a high pressing team which is what I thought would happen when I saw the team announced he was all right Sanchez was was all right today he was I thought Longley and Davies that little channel between the two of them merciful god but um (laughs) yeah he was he was he wasn't he wasn't a mess which was which was nice um yeah, I um, I agree. I thought I thought Sanchez did a mostly adequate job. Um, maybe the last time he plays at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium <laughs> should be should yeah. be. Let's 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 hope it is. Um, I thought the first half was one of the best performances, one of the best halves of the season for Spurs. Um, I thought there was a really nice uh, attacking verve to our play. Lots of rotation with the front four, which is something we haven't seen a great deal of. Um, combination play. Brentford are really good at absolutely packing out the middle of the pitch and forcing you wide. But of course, this season we're trained into being a team that gets the ball wide and gets crosses in. So quite, in some ways, quite a dangerous method for them. And I thought we we looked vaguely threatening um, on several occasions and we we put some chances together. Uh, like, I mean, so Bardi said he thought Brentford were on the beach. I was aware that Brentford could still qualify for Europe, so I didn't think that would be the case. But at half time, I was definitely thinking, we got this. We're, you know, we've played really well. There's a level of confidence. And then I should have taken into account that we have been one half Tottenham yeah. all season. Yeah, Brentford hit us with the old first half pretending to be on the beach trap and then, <laughs> and then came out hard in the second half yeah. and we gassed. I mean, I don't know if the Damsgaard for Onyeka sub was was forced by injury because Onyeka did take a couple of knocks in the first half. But the the more forward thinking and intelligent on the ball Damsgaard was a really useful sub for them. But I thought the more important change was the intensity to their pressing. So right at the start of the second half, you see Jensen, who has been quite passive in, in the way he's approached us on the ball, until we play into midfield, he presses skip and continues to then press the centre-back and the goalkeeper. So th- for the first time in the game, they really pressed us all the way back. And then, um, is it Sharda, the winger, uh, then follows up to press Sanchez in the right-back area. Again, it's it's more intense pressing and more forward-thinking pressing than we've seen from them all game in the first half. And we get out of that, but I think that's that was an early signal of what was to come. Um, and then we, we had a, a, a period of settled possession where we were pushed back towards the edge of our own box and Brentford went for it again. And it, this time uh, it was Damsgaard. But I think that was the trigger. It was like as soon as Spurs get back to the edge of their own box, Brentford are just going to go for it in the second half. And they did. And it, you could tell it made us nervous. That said, 
I think we're pretty unlucky. I really think we're pretty unlucky with the goals we conceded. Yeah. The first one, as I said, it's a quick throw, an early pass. Vista makes a useful dummy, which completely throws off Longley. So there's a bit of an error there from Longley, but it's a good bit of movement from Vista. So he drops to receive, and Burma isolates David and essentially gets off a very low percentage shot, 0.06 expected goals. The second goal, Harry Kane is fouled in the build-up, in my view. And it's important that we point out that he's fouled by Aaron Hickey because it's then Hickey that receives the ball in an area where Kane would be pressing him. Kane would be pressing him because Son has has, has moved into the centre at that point. Um, so Hickey has a free pass to Mbermo, who essentially goes vroom, runs past Davis. Davis is very slow and Mbermo is very fast um, and, and finds a really good finish from the angle. Um, there's in a period where loads of subs happen, including Lucas Mora. Oh my God, why are you bringing Lucas Mora on? Like, I, I guess the only thing is if you think the intensity's dropped, and you the bring on someone who's an intense presser. Specifically, yeah. That's that's the only excuse I can think of to mm. bring on Lucas Mora because he killed a bunch of attacks as soon as he came. <laughs> yes, he is. Always, there, there's there's two main reasons, uh, two main problems with with giving Lucas Mora a big last home game send off, and one of them is that he's shit. Yeah. <laughs> So bad, man. He was like awful, awful when he came on in this game and essentially killed a lot of our, our good moves. Um, but then, so Brentford then responded by going to a back five. They brought on Zanka, moved to a flat back five. I thought we then created a bunch of pretty reasonable half chances from from attacks. Mm. Like we 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 put together, considering you know we're playing a, a back five with a solid three midfield three. It was, it's difficult to break down. I thought we did all right. I thought we did all right. And it felt to me as though if there was going to be another goal, it would be Spurs getting an equaliser and then who knows what's going to happen. And then, as I said, game of two throw-ins. Skip makes that catastrophic error in front of his own box uh, and it's game over. I mean, I say it's game over. Even after that, we have the two Richarlison opportunities. Pedro Porro gets a reasonable shot away, which is well blocked by Ben Mee. But at that point, it's 3-1. You know, it's it's all done. It's all done. Um, Basuma's a new man. He's, he's really good. He's our best midfielder by by a way, isn't he? Super is our best midfielder. Yeah, him and Benzema. I mean, that is really encouraging for next season. Um, and Bardi mentioned that Basuma dropped off, and I, I definitely agree. In the second half, he dropped off. But when I watched it back, what I was pleasantly surprised at was how many of the 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 flurry of late half chances that I refer to, Basuma was involved in the build up for nearly all of them, either through carrying or or passing and, and doing some good pass and move stuff. And he was the one pushing forward with Skip sitting back more. Mm. Um, and I liked that. I liked his kind of versatility. I liked them. I liked them working as a pivot. I'm really encouraged by that. I think Basuma and Bentancur is a potentially really nice double pivot. It's I I those are two good players. Those are two good midfielders, and they're a really good uh, starting points. But as a midfield two, their characteristics overlap too much and and leave too much Ooh. out. But you still need both those players in a squad. So um, hmm. I'm not gonna like kick up a fuss right now. What do we think of Decky as a ten? I prefer him out wide. I think he's better with space. Well, he, he, apparently he sees himself as a number ten, prefers to be a number ten. Um, but then the thing with that is that like he's looks really rough since the World Cup. So maybe you'd want to see him in form, playing in both positions to to get a feel on him. He's a sensational player, but how I feel right now is if he went back to Juventus, I wouldn't be crying. But and that's really harsh because he's a sensational player, but he's been terrible. And there was a moment on on Saturday where the ball was just lofted up to 
him and he turned like an oil tanker and I was just like yeah perhaps we need someone a bit nippier Wait, but the, he was nippier like last season I yeah. my suspicion throughout has been that he's he's carrying some sort of niggling injury or um is mentally affected by the injury that he did get before or just has a fitness issue he's he's lacking some agility, some, well, intensity that we're all lacking, but him especially, he's just looking sluggish and awkward and, and slow. Um, and we know how good he is when he's sharp. Like, and don't get me wrong, like, obviously, um, we said at the time, like, he's not going to keep getting one assist per chance created, right? Um, he's not a goal or assist a game player, but he's a very good player. Yeah, he's a good player. It just I think I'm just kind of down on everybody. I was looking at that mm. team on Saturday and I was just like if half of them never played again for Tottenham I wouldn't I wouldn't be upset. Um it's 35 million is the price that we that we had agreed with Juventus for Kulusevski. The, the the suggestion is that we'll go back in now and try and negotiate that down a little bit. Yeah. But on the basis of it being 35 million, you take him? Yeah, still? probably. Probably. I think so if 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 he wants to. So we had an obligation that was based mm-hmm. on qualifying for the Champions League. That obligation is now an option and I think yeah, we will attempt to negotiate the option to 30, maybe 25. Probably, probably closer to thirty, right? But then Juventus have got their own, you know, situations on the go. They might need to offload players. I think. Um, Buddy, you, you you still take him? Yeah, I mean, if um, West Ham paid what well, they paid twenty million for Cornet last season for so if you're going to pay thirty five for for Kulusevski, fair enough. It's not it's not uh, it's not a huge amount of money. I, I'm I'm quite surprised that you two are both like almost on the fence about that. Like, I think it's a no. I think we absolutely have to sign him. I think he's but now, really good. Now you're making decisions about who we sign without a director of football. So it's who what what formation would you play him in? A four three three. He suits a slot team set up really really well and okay. that that makes him worth 30 quite happily for me mm. he's only just 23 he's there's there's room point. for growth he's so good and you know he's very likable i think he seems like a popular character in the dressing room he's bonded with the other players i i absolutely like 35 million still seems cheap in my view there's so much potential there um and we've seen him be really effective like i don't think it's a case that defenders have worked him out because he can still get the ball into his left foot and make things happen it's just that they haven't been finding the bottom corner or finding a teammate and partly because he's been feeding off scraps for yep. most of this season like i think you, you improve the general level of the team and you get more out of kudosevsky uh, as a sort of byproduct um, yeah, I, I absolutely would sign him. It's interesting though because a few people on the Discord have been having similar conversations. Like, oh, d- is this a definite now? Um, which again really surprised me. Um, RR10 said, seeing what's happened in the last few weeks, should we actually have kept Conte until the end of the season? Results would have been better. Would they though? Would they? I understand that results have been abysmal since Conte went, but results were turning pretty awful, and the vibes were horrendous. And um, we were just and he made his position untenable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like absolutely. I and and he'd be mouthing off after every match. It'll be it'll be miserable. Like I things aren't great right now, 
but we're just sort of like allowing the season to drift away and thinking ahead to the future. Whereas if Conte was here, uh, we'd be forced to live in the moment in a horrible way. The vibes are better, even if the results are worse. <laughs> and honestly, I, I'm happy to not be in Europa League or Europa Conference League. That's what we're missing out on. It's, it's happily worth losing Conte. Now over to Bardi for his thoughts. Um, I mean, we we were fourth and then we fired <laughs> Conte. And now we're a mess. Mason's won like one game. Um, I of course we had to sack him we went through this I've said it many times we, we fired him because the position became untenable but I do think there was a large part of, of Conte protecting us by playing pragmatic football he was protecting that defence from from the misery that's, that's occurred to us I mean there's a point here we've conceded 60 goals this season I do think there was something there about just protecting this team from, from getting attacked and then just relying on Kane and Son to do something magical um, would results have been better uh, after that press conference probably not but I think had he not done that press conference and finished the rest of the season I think we would have finished higher than we than we than we did but that press conference killed it yeah. my answer to this question is that we should have sat Conte earlier <laughs> yeah fair enough I said I said it in January I said at the start yeah. of, start in the middle of January sat Conte now get someone in back them I don't think um, I don't think this I, Maybe I'll stand to be corrected. Maybe Slot comes in and just buys one player and then fixes everything. And I'd be like, oh, okay, maybe it's not these, not the players. But these players are terrible. They're terrible, terrible footballers who can't even be fit enough, who can't even run. Just just run. Just run around a bit. None of them can't even run. They're throwing up in pre-season because they can't do sprints up and down the pitch. I could do that. <laughs> I, I would play in centre midfield for Tottenham and I would run harder and stronger than, than most of those guys, man. I'm not saying I could do, I'm not saying I could score goals or do anything else like that, but I know I could run more than those than those idiots. I think it's an embarrassment the way that they've just fallen apart. There's, I hate this whole kind of talk about pride and passion and everything else like that, but there's some basics there that these individuals are just incapable of doing, and I don't think anyone can fix them. And I I don't want to see... I, I've, never felt, I've never felt this unhappy with so many of our players before, but I, I just don't want to see them anymore. I just want to see... It's ended. I don't have to go see them anymore. Get somebody in. Sell them all. And buy some good players. I, th- I think Bardi just jumped the shark. Um, <laughs> Bardi, on th- in this in this game, n- neither of your favourites, Dyer or Hoybier, were playing. That's true. But God, that's good. But I'm not saying I'm not saying that the issues with Tottenham were Dyer and Hoybier. That they weren't the reasons why. They were part of the problem, but they're not the the sole problem. There's 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 a lot uh, there's a lot wrong with this playing squad that goes further than those two. Would would Dyer playing? And Shoibe playing, would the result have been any different? No, I don't think so. Yeah, prob- I probably don't think not. So either. Probably not. Um, and I do think, I think uh, we will, we should and will make a lot of signings in the summer. I think there'll be a lot of squad turnover. I think the the way the season's gone makes squad turnover even more inevitable. And I think that's a good thing. I think it needs to be turned over. We really need to bring down the age profile again. Um, because Conte's shifted it up two or three years. We need to kind of bring that back down two or three years, ideally. I think we'll see some homegrown players leave, so we'll need to prioritise some homegrown signings. Uh, so so that will mean we, we are forced into essentially buying more players than we would have done. But if we finish out of the European places entirely, we can get by with a smaller squad next season. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, which means... We might see a lot more sales than incomings in the summer. Well, I think we need to. I think I think we really need to. We've got we've got such a we, we're not Chelsea, <laughs> but we've got mm. a really bloated squad right now, of, mm. and a lot of players mm. who um, have already been deemed uh, not good enough. 
or at least unfitting to previous coaches, to be fair. And a number of our current first eleven who don't fit the kind of football that we want to be playing. There's there's mm. going to be a lot of selling. It's a tough, it's a tough first window for a new director of football, to be honest. Bring back my boy. Bring back the only one in this team that can run. Do you know who's the only player in our team who's got some legs on him? Is it Brian Hill? Brian Hill. Bring that boy can run. Bring him back. <laughs> so speaking of which, um, Voodoo Chopsticks, Dan, says, not really a question, but I'd like you to give a shout out to Eric Manuel Lamella, who's man of the match performance versus Juventus and extra time a goal. Assisted by Brian Hill, made me fall in love with European football again. Gracias, Coco. Um, Brian Hill doing bits, but a really good performance, um, really impressive stuff. I think Conte absolutely fucked that one up. He he just started showing a few bits and then Conte packed him off on loan or, or certainly made him feel like he wasn't part of the core squad. I think he could have offered something. I think he could have been a really useful rotation option. They've just been saying how poor Kulisevsky's been at points this season. Brian Hill could have played on that side and done a reasonable job. I'm really interested to see what uh, the new manager decides to do with him. If you haven't seen that goal, go and see if you can find it because... Uh... If, if you're an Eric Lamella fan, he 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 celebrates in such a <laughs> uh, authentic, impassioned, mm. adorable way. It's 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 really good. It's a really good moment. Yeah, lovely. And now it's uh, Lamella versus Mourinho in the final. <sighs> Gorgeous. And um, I just want to give a shout out to Fiorentina in the final um, of the Conference League, and hopefully they stop West Ham. It would be a lovely thing. My dad, who has worse luck with football teams than me, he, he, <laughs> he couldn't bring himself to watch the, the Fiorentina game just because of the stress. My dad is like that. When when there's a big pressure game on, he just turns the TV off and just and just walks away from it and then just waits until the result happens and rewatches it when, when, he, when he knows that he can no longer affect the result. So, buddy, we, were you there for the end of the match? Did you were you aware of what was going on with the music being cranked up at at Spurs? Mm. No, um, when the ball hit the back of the net for the third goal, I made my way down to the bar. Have you have you heard about this though? The, I... the, apparently, the the music post match was apparently so loud as to be uncomfortable. <laughs> That's not uncommon at Tottenham. They have done that before. When we've lost, they've just whacked the music on to drown out the booze. It's um it's a common tactic. And to be honest with you, they do it a lot. They do it anyway, and it's just people notice it more when we lose. Mm. The music is uncomfortably loud at Tottenham anyway. Even pre-game, the, yeah, the videos that they put on, it's is, is too loud. Listen, you yep, can't build an authentic fair, atmosphere, fair. can you? Yeah. Yeah. So um, we, we booked this this double bill where the Spurs women had their um, a really important uh, relegation escape game um, in the stadium straight after the men's. And I think that that's a really, really, really good idea. And we have given it a trial in the worst possible circumstances yeah. where fans don't even want to stay around for the the lap of shame, um, uh, let alone another game after that. Um, I really hope that we do that again in the future when things are better, because I think that that could be really good. Uh, you know, getting, get, getting your extra value from your ticket, if nothing else, extra entertainment, um, supporting the women's team. But what miserable circumstances to have it in. But hey, um, we won um escaped escaped relegation um despite you know a hundred miserable fans left in the ground <laughs> quick chat about uh, what's coming up on the patreon this week so patreon.com forward slash the extra inch it still remains the best way to support our work but also you know i'm biased but i think we put out some really good content behind the paywall um after the last game of the season we'll be doing a live Q&A pod for just the X-Subs 
uh, which should be a lot of fun. Um, Bardi, you've got some plans for the summer. Yeah, me and Spooky, the the balloon popper. If you've if you've not seen him pop a Levy out balloon, then go check it out on Twitter. Um, we'll be doing a Colt Spurs um, eleven. So we we did a podcast looking at Berbatov and Soldado as part of the um, 1882 fanzine promotion, and just it was really nice chatting to Spooky about old players without talking about the what's happening right now. So we're going to go through like our starting eleven and look at some Colt individuals from my time of watching Spurs and we'll put that out over the summer sounds wonderful and Nathan you've been busily preparing a video on Arna Slot yeah I think I'm pretty much ready to record I need to do a tiny bit more sort of what do you want to call it like pre-editing clip sourcing stuff but I should be ready to record in the next couple of days the question is am I too cursed to do that should I not do that because I'll I'll you know his agent um, who's the successor of um, Rayola, by the way, is, is apparently due to talk to Feyenoord on Wednesday. So will I curse Wednesday's talks um, if I if I record my video before that? What do you reckon? Mm. You do have a... It's horrifying uh, history. Terrible record, yes. Um, no, I think you're fine. I think it's just coincidence. Um, so obviously it seems like Arneslot is, is Spurs' first choice. He seems very keen on the move. Uh, let's see what happens with the director of football, but I I think this feels like it's going to happen. And instantly we've been linked with Orkan Kokchu, who is a key player in Arna Slot's final team. Uh, there are some issues around Kokchu. Um, Nathan, do you know much about this? Yeah, yeah. So basically he... Um, well, firstly, he's, he's a Turkish Muslim, um, and he, as a result of his faith, um, in his own words refused to wear the rainbow pride captain's armband and gave it to another player on on the basis of religious grounds so um obviously that that's a little difficult to to chew um karina on our discord made a really good point that essentially um as a as a, a turkish player um, if he were to to wear that armband, he's putting himself in in a very difficult position, right? He's choosing to be um, a pro LGBT activist, um, which is a genuinely dangerous. Probably not that dangerous because he has the advantage of being a footballer, right? But a very difficult position. Um, so I have, I do have, I do have some sympathy for him in in that situation, and I understand um, the re- relevant religious pressures there too. But I also think that hey, we as a club should be one where it's difficult and uncomfortable to not do that stuff, basically. So I don't especially hold it against him on a personal level, but I think that he isn't a player that we should be bringing in for that reason. I think he's a very, very talented player. Don't get me wrong. I'm I'm not going to pretend otherwise. Um, but I am not keen on him for that reason. Mm. You know, we're losing Lucas Moura this summer. Yep. Lucas Moura is someone who has a history of, um, of views which uh, are distasteful and make life worse for some of the most marginalised communities in the world. And replacing him instantly with another player who has some similar views, I think is really problematic if Spurs... Uh, really mean all they say about inclusivity in in football. Uh, their organ Kokchu is clearly a very 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 good player, and I think will go on to have an excellent career. Uh, there are also other good midfielders that we could sign. We don't need to sure. sign him, 
Um, I do understand backing the manager and, and supporting a, a new coach. And if he's one of his key guys, then I understand why Spurs would be torn. But like Nathan, my my preference would be to not sign him and to sign a player of similar qualities um, who doesn't that, have that, that doesn't history. have problematic views and will make our LGBTQ plus fans feel somewhat uncomfortable. There are other players out there, right? Just ask some of those data guys. Just ask some blokes off Twitter. <laughs> do we want to do any more questions? Or should we just call it this? It's been quite a long one, to be fair. We haven't talked mm-hmm. about Arsenal. Should we save that for next week? Okay. Um, let's do that quickly and then we'll, then we'll sign off. Okay. Uh, Bardi, did mm. Arsenal bottle it? In, in terms of what's classified as bottling, in modern football, yes, they bottled it 100%. You can't be top of the league for 245 games, 245 days, and then not win it. That's it's a definite bottling. Part of me... No, I'm not even going to be nuanced. No, they, they bottled it totally. That's what I'm going to commit to. They they totally bottled it. Going up against Man City is incredibly... It's, impossible. it's an impossibility. But they had the opportunity to do it. Their destiny was in their own hands, regardless of how good Man City were... In the, in the running, they had destiny in their own hands. And if you've got control of your own destiny and you fail to capitalise on it, you've bottled it. So yes, they bottled it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's pretty much where I'm at. I think so. Um, at the midpoint of the season, they had 43 points and no team has had as many points as that and not gone on to win the league. So, um, you know, we 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 bottled it, apparently. Um, when we finished on 86 points, Arsenal aren't even going to have that many. So... Mm. So if we bottled it, they did. If you want to say that's not bottling, then then basically nothing is, and we need to do away with the term. But if you're going to use that term, then it applies to them. They I understand the that Man City are a juggernaut, but they yeah. still had it within their power. They set the rules. Had had they not defined these rules back in the day when when we apparently bottled everything, had they not put these rules in place, then we would all sit around going, "Oh, you know what? You, you gave it a good crack, lads." You. You went up against one of the greatest managers with a who's got an infinite transfer budget, an infinite coaching <laughs> strategy, and you gave it a good crack. But you, my friends, you put these rules in place. You called us bottlers when we were never top. So unfortunately, you live you live by the sword, you die by it. So you're a bunch of bottling mugs. It's a shame that the bringing in a dog called Wind didn't help them out, but never mind. <laughs> Who brought in a dog? Arsenal. Arteta brought in a training ground dog, a, a Labrador called and called him Win. <laughs> Poor dog, that poor dog. Why are you doing it to a dog, mate? <laughs> um, all I would add is if you want to know more about bottling, then listen to our bonus episode with Alex Stoyle. Alex is literally writing his PhD thesis on bottling. He is the expert in bottling. Uh, that was released 11th of May. Scroll back in your podcast app to find that bonus episode, Sports Psych Times Spurs, Motivation, Confidence and Booing. Really, really good chat with Alex. Had some lovely feedback about that. So if you've not listened to that yet, get involved. You've been listening to The Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his soundcloud D Lindmer. Do check him out. He's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.